Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and thank you for taking time to join us every week. I trust you are being blessed by the Word of God that we're sharing. Uh, I want to mention real quick that uh, we are in a series right now on the book of Hebrews, and if you would like to, you can go back to our YouTube page or to our podcast on iTunes, and uh, you can go back and review any of the programs that we have aired to date. They are there for your uh, viewing pleasure to view on demand if you'd like to do that. The best way to find the link to all of that is probably to simply go to my website at www.lenhiles.com. want to mention real quick also as the program begins about some of our products that we have I, that you will be truly blessed. If, what, one of the first ones that I want to mention is my book called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. This book actually deals with about the first five chapters of the book of Revelation. And if you've been uh, terrified or scared by the book of Revelation, this book is probably for you because this really comes from a viewpoint that's probably uh, really different than probably most people have heard. Uh, what we did with this book is we decided that if the title of the book is The Revelation of Jesus Christ, most people preach everything but Jesus from this book. But if this book is titled The Revelation of Jesus Christ, we decided to look for Jesus in this book, and we truly did find Him in this book. And I think you'll be blessed by the information that's in this book. Uh, the second book I wrote is titled The Un Forced Rhythms of Grace, and uh, it is a book that is talking about Matthew 11, uh, where he said, Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me and I'll show you how to take a real rest. I will teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. And what we do is we show how that uh, uh, everything that, uh, that Jesus did as far as a lot of His miracles, He did them from the Sabbath. And what we teach about this is the Sabbath is more than just a day of the week. It is a person, and it is the finished work of Jesus Christ, and what flows from that incredible posture called rest. I think one of the great things that most people need in their walk with Christ is to learn how to live their life from the posture of rest. This book will be a blessing to you. And the last book that I wrote that just came off the press this year is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. And what I do in this book is I teach uh, about the gospel of grace, marrying the gospel of the kingdom. And what we talk about in this is from Matthew 3 where John the Baptist said, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we talk about that repentance is simply a paradigm shift. And when you change your mind or you turn about, repentance it also speaks of turning about. But it's, we emphasize in this book not just what you turn from, but what you turn toward. And um, what we show is that uh, while we have been set free from the bondage of law and legalism, there's a new form of government in our lives called the kingdom of God that operates through the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe it's one of the most important pieces of work I have done in some time. You can get any of these books simply by going to our website at lynnhiles.com, and it's here, but it also is on the screen for most of the program. Uh, you can go there and order it right now, or you call the number on the screen. You will be blessed by uh, those materials. Uh, make great Christmas gifts. We're coming into a season where I believe they'd be great stocking stuffers for some someone whom you love and someone who loves the Word of God. Now we're going to get back into our study on the book of Hebrews. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to start in, uh, in uh, chapter 5 today 
But before I do chapter 5, I need to springboard from it from the last few verses of chapter 4 because it's kind of the setup for it. Verse 15 of chapter 4 says, or verse 14 of chapter 4 says, Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly. I want you to note this. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Not the throne of judgment, but a throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And then it goes right into the next chapter and says, For every high priest is taken from among men, is ordained for men, in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and them that are out of the way, for that he himself is also compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor into himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever, after the order of of Melchizedek. Now, I don't know how much uh, further I'll get today uh, with that, but springboard from, uh, I'm sorry, springboarding from Hebrews chapter 4. One of the things that we said in the last segment was that the word that flows from rest in Hebrews 4, the whole context of Hebrews 4 is rest. He tells them in the fourth chapter, the word of God is quick, which is an old English word that means it's life-giving. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it divides asunder between soul and spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature which is not uh, naked and open before Him, the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. And what we showed you in the last segment was that the word that flows from rest, the word that flows if you will, from the finished work of Jesus Christ and the work of Calvary is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And I think we covered pretty well, but one of the things that I started to notice in the early days of preaching the gospel of grace, and we've been preaching the finished work in the gospel of grace probably since the late 80s, early 90s, especially to put an emphasis on grace. I started to notice when we preached, for instance, freedom from the law, that the new covenant is not an addendum to the old one. Now remember, everything about the book of Hebrews here is talking about a transition. He's talking to literal Hebrews in the first century. Matter of fact, within uh, you know just 30 some years of the new covenant. And he is talking to them about crossing over but this time they're not crossing over out of a physical bondage, but they're crossing over out of the bondage of law and legalism. And the whole book of Hebrews is about that kind of a transition. I believe this book and why I'm teaching it during this period of time is probably very important because it really shows you what is better about the new covenant and how it contrasts with the old covenant. 
In chapter 1, we saw that Jesus is better than angels. In chapter 2, we saw that he is better than, uh, I believe it is, Moses. And, and then in chapter 3, he's better than Joshua. And then chapter 4, there's a better promised land than just a piece of real estate. And then chapter 5, we're going to deal with there's a better priesthood. And uh, so what he's doing is showing them that everything about this new covenant is better. It's more excellent. That's, that to me, exciting. I, I, I don't know why people wouldn't get excited about the good news. The gospel is called the good news. But one of the things that I noticed as, uh, you know, I was teaching freedom from the law, and again, that's what uh, whoever it is that wrote the book of Hebrews is doing, is he's teaching them, actually Hebrews 13, 9 tells you that one of the purposes for the book of Hebrews is that your heart could be established in grace. And so he's really giving them, you know, this uh, whole transition. He's going to talk about better offerings, better promises, a better tabernacle, a better faith, a better priesthood. Uh, he's going to talk about better promises, better blood. Uh, the key word to the book of Hebrews is it's better. And, uh, but when I first started teaching freedom from the law, I really began to get concerned. And, and like I said, I think I've covered this some in previous segments. But I began to get concerned about people who were uh, turning from, if you will, the law. And they were turning from religion, and they were turning from any type of constraint. Uh, but they didn't turn toward the Lord. Again, that's why I wrote this book called From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift, is because it really deals with the fact that when, if, you, if you don't, if it's the gospel is not just about what you turn from, but it's what you turn toward. And if our hearts turn toward the Lord, then the veil is taken away. The veil has to do with the law. Uh, what I started seeing is that if you don't turn toward the Lord, and I know this is a play on words, but you are an untoward generation, Acts, the book of Acts says, because you haven't turned, you become untoward because you haven't turned toward the Lord. And so when I started seeing people testing the waters of freedom, I began to get somewhat concerned and say, man, you know, uh, and I think that probably every leader, see, I, I, I understand and completely identify with the concerns of leaders and people who are concerned with uh, how people are seeing and hearing the gospel of grace. See, sometimes that it's not necessarily what the leaders at the top that are preaching it are saying that's the problem. It's the trickle-down effect of what people are hearing and what they do with it after, you know, the, the gospel is released. But the potential is always there to abuse the gospel of grace. Now, you know, where sin abounds, grace will superabound, but there's still some, some cost to, uh, you know, your own sin proves you, your, your own uh, reaping what you sow can really cause some problems. But when I started seeing some things that were manifesting in people's lives and uh, wanted to kind of bring some correction to them, you know, people kind of rear up and say, man, you can't say that to me. I'm, there's no condemnation and I'm, I'm under grace. And to which I agree, you are under grace, and, and there is therefore now no condemnation. Now let me just say again though that the word condemnation there doesn't mean that there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. It means that it, it's a legal term. In other words, uh, you, you cannot come into the condemnation, if you will, a judgment of a court system that says you're guilty and be stoned to death because you're not under a law that's going to condemn you to death. But nevertheless, that doesn't mean everything is okay. 
Now, what I started seeing is as people tested the waters of freedom, uh, that uh, they begin to experience things in their lives. And, uh, you know, while their vertical relationship with God was all right, their horizontal relationships on this earthen plane were a total wreck. I mean, many lost their marriages. They lost their health. Uh, there are repercussions to their actions. But I began to get concerned just because of the stuff that was happening. And uh, I, I know, I, I hate to just keep reviewing a lot, but uh, I think sometimes it's worth it. But when it's like the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, their first stop is the wilderness of sin. Why is that? Because people's first response to freedom is they don't know how to handle freedom. But with freedom comes responsibility. The Lord said to me uh, a couple of years back, He said, Son, you cannot earn grace, but you can steward it. And I said, Lord, I, I don't know if there's even a scripture for that. When I got in my room, I put it in my search engine, in my concordance, and sure enough, uh, the book of Peter said that we are stewards of the manifold grace of God. So uh, we can be stewards of the grace of God. But here's the thing that I want you to see is that when people started to test the waters of freedom, even when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they stopped at the wilderness of sin, and of course, the water becomes bitter. And, uh, and you know, because the first response, almost everybody that comes out of years and years of bondage, even bondage of religion, many times will t test the waters of freedom, and usually, ultimately, the pendulum will swing back to the center. But what happens is, is that I started asking the Lord concerning this because I was concerned about it, and He said, listen, uh, the word that flows from rest, again, we're coming back here to Hebrews 4. He said, the word that flows from rest is a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. So when you start to preach rest, what's really, and you start to preach the finished work, and you start to preach freedom from the law, what's in people's hearts begins to surface. Because see, under law, you could change their behavior. But under grace, you're going to change their hearts. Grace will change the heart. And sometimes it takes a little while to reveal the heart. But what he said is that the, that the heart is, uh, you know, it's a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. And as people's hearts were revealed, and you could begin to see that there were some things in their hearts that had absolutely perhaps been uh, at least controlled or dominated or kept in check by the law, but never was changed, begin to be revealed. But what this chapter in Hebrews 4 is telling you is that once your heart is revealed, that you can come boldly to a throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And then you're going to find a faithful high priest who is touched with the feelings of your infirmities who has been tempted in all manners like as we are, yet without sin, so that He is able to secure or sustain us or help us through these times when we are struggling with things in our lives that could potentially destroy us. In the midst of it, He tells us, hold fast the profession of your faith. In other words, don't back down from your profession of salvation, because your salvation is not predicated upon your performance. It is based on the work in person of Jesus Christ. And it is from that springboard that we come into Hebrews, the fifth chapter, where he tells you that every high priest is taken from among men and is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he might offer both gifts and sacrifices 
for sin. And then he goes on to talk about uh, the fact that he can have compassion on the ignorant and them that are out of the way, but that he himself also has been, is compassed with infirmity. Now he's really talking about the high priest of the Old Testament, but he's making this comparison that we have a high priest, but this high priest, Jesus Christ, did this without sin. In other words, he walked a spotless, perfect life. But the thing that he wants you to identify with here in chapter 5 about this high priest is that these priests had to be taken from among men. In other words, he had to have a human experience. And so God, uh, you know, uh, wrapped himself in human flesh and came down. And uh, Jesus walked this earth walk. And he endured the testings and the trials and the tribulations. As a matter of fact, this chapter goes further to say uh, that he was tested and tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Uh, uh, and so that he's able, and it says that, you know, who also in the days of his flesh, when he'd offered up, uh, you know, prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different avenues you could take with that. But what it's simply saying is he was a son. He lived the human experience. He walked through the trials and testings of life and the struggles and the tribulations and the things he experienced. I'm not sure it's talking about just like physical sufferings he's talking about here. Yet at the same time, there was a lot of suffering that Jesus did in his redemptive work. But what I'm simply after is that he was a son and he can identify with you as a son. And as a son was touched with the feelings of your infirmities, and, and he was walked through the things that he had, you know, I, I, I so appreciate the fact that Jesus had a human experience because he knows what it's like when you hurt. He knows what it's like when your heart is broken. He knows what it's like to have losses of loved ones in his family. Of course, you know, in the case of Lazarus, you know, uh, he raises Lazarus from the dead. Uh, but yet at the same time, he deals with the human emotions that people were walking through. And he himself, as a human, walked through with all the temptations, with all the tests, and with all of the struggles of, of life that you and I face today. I'm encouraged to know that he was touched with all of those things and can identify with you in your weakness and in your struggle. So if you're sitting out there listening to me today and you're thinking, man, you know, this is a God who is some distant, far off, has no idea. I, I came to tell you, He knows what it's like to, to identify with your personal struggles. He knows what it's like to identify with your temptations and your testings and, and uh, the, the feelings of being rejected and the feelings of being embraced and the feelings of being celebrated and yet the, 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 uh, the feelings of being uh, the same crowd that celebrates you one week is, is crying, crucify him the next week. And, uh, you know, I'd say to pastors who are sitting there watching me, listening, man, he can identify with the moments where you feel like, man, my church is celebrating and my people are thrilled with me to the next week when they're ready to vote you out and kick you to the curb. He said, I'm touched with the feelings of your infirmities. You know, uh, there was a song that I heard back some time ago about God takes our tears 
and he puts them in a bottle of remembrance. And, and I used to think as I thought about that, that was kind of a carnal song, but really that I begin to look through the Scriptures, and that's really in the Scripture. He, the, the Scripture says that God takes our tears, and He puts them in a bottle of remembrance. And God identifies with the hurts and the struggles and the feelings of aloneness and the feelings of sadness and the feelings of depression and the feelings that people struggle. I think that's probably, again, as I think about every aspect of the redemptive work of Christ is powerfully important. And to that end, I would say that's probably where he wore or why he wore a crown of thorns is to show that every tormenting thought, that crown of thorns, you know, represents to me, first of all, a, a curse mentality because the Scripture says that, uh, you know, when Adam was cursed, he said, cursed is the ground. It will bring forth thorns and thistles. And that was a result of the fall of Adam. But you and I have been redeemed from Adam's sin, and so we've been redeemed from this pressure and mentality that says, I've got to earn my bread uh, from the sweat of my brow from a cursed earth. But also I think of the prickly thorns that was jammed down on the head of the King of Glory. And while they pressed that into his head, that, that, that very possibly could symbolize every thought of suicide, every thought of depression, every thought of worthlessness, every thought of mental illness. Jesus wore a crown of thorns to redeem us even from mental illness. And I think even where it talks about He was wounded for our transgressions and He was bruised for our iniquities. I think about the thought that the bruising, uh, when He was bruised, that that's an internal bleeding. When you bruise, you, you, you bleed internally. And, uh, you know, I heard the Lord simply say to me, I did that to redeem you from every internal hurt and pain that you would suffer. I bled internally to deal with all of your hidden internal bleedings and all of your internal hurts and pains. And, uh, you know, it goes on to say that he, you know, these high priests were taken from among men so that they could have compassion on uh, us in our infirmities. So Jesus himself likewise took on the same, that he could identify with all of our human struggles and once again all of our human weakness. You know, in light of some of the recent things that have happened, uh, you know, in our nation, in the news, and, uh, uh, you know, one of the, the issues that's going to have to be addressed somewhere is the issue of mental illness. And I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. I mean, I'm, I, you know, there's a lot of people that, that uh, you know, they've been hurt. They've been wounded. Some of them have been hurt and wounded even in church. And, and uh, you know, that's, uh, I'm not pushing the blame game. I'm just simply telling you, no matter what you're going through today, Jesus feels your pain. Jesus can identify with your feeling of struggle. If you're in the middle of a separation or a divorce or it looks like your family's falling apart or you just got a bad report from your doctor or you, 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 you're facing some insurmountable difficulties. This particular segment, I just feel the Holy Spirit emphasizing that Jesus cares about you. He's got your best interest in mind. And sometimes I think what we need to do is just what Jesus did. The Bible said He was heard in that with strong cryings and tears. 
He offered up prayers and supplications to him who was able to save him from death and was hurt in that he feared. And though he was a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And I would simply say to you, and I really didn't mean for this program to kind of go this direction, but I feel the Holy Spirit directing it that way, is that God hears your cries. And again, sometimes tears are the only language we can seem to even come up with sometimes. But I'm going to tell you, God is near to them who are uh, hurt and those that are suffering and those that are in grief and those that are in pain. And the wonderful thing about it is he's not a distant God who is a spirit being who's never had an earth experience. But he knows what it's like. And I want you to understand that he's not some distant, far-off God that can't be touched. So wherever you're at today, just call on him. Cry out. Sometimes I think about, it's not just a crying out in a, uh, you know, uh, maybe even words that we could articulate, but the Spirit says, or the Scripture says that, uh, that even when we pray in the Holy Ghost, or we pray in the Spirit, there are groanings and things that are uttered by the Holy Ghost, that when we pray in our prayer language, that God can hear the deep groan of creation. God hears the groan of creation. So it, even in our deep groans and crying and tears, he cried out to God who was able to save him from death, and he was heard. I said he was heard. And uh, he's standing by. He really is anxious. You know, I, I think so many times that people think, well, I've messed up so bad that uh, I deserve what I'm getting. See, that's why it's called grace. It's because it's the unearned, undeserved favor of God. Mercy comes running. And I'm so thankful for the mercy of God. And the reason you can get mercy, again, is because he was tested and tried. And so, you know, and sometimes I think we, and that's one of the key points even of this Melchizedek priesthood that we're going to find here is that he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek ministers not from a judgment seat, but from a mercy seat. So that when you're broken, you're hurt. See, I think one of the things, again, most of our pain is self-inflicted. Most of our pain comes from uh, maybe our own disobedience, our own decisions, our own dumb decisions that we do. But yet at the moment, he tells them again in the prior chapter, hold fast your profession. In other words, even when you have messed up, you still have a faithful high priest. And he's there to touch you with the feelings of your infirmities. And he's there to intercede for you. And he's there to just bring relief. And you know, I, I feel like if you just call on him today, and just release that right now. God's touching somebody's life right now as I'm speaking. And there's a release that's coming. Even as your tears are flowing, God's touching your life. And Jesus is your high priest who is standing very near to minister to you. Uh, man, I, I just feel like that uh, he cares for us. Uh, take a moment, uh, if you would. Uh, we are about to run out of time. And I just need to say a few things quickly. But uh, thank you for joining us today, first of all. And if you've enjoyed the program and you'd like to help us to take the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of His grace around the world, we deeply or greatly appreciate it. It's your partnership that helps us to do that. Uh, so if you would like to become a partner, call that number on the screen or go to our website and you can see a link directly there on the TV. There's a place where you can do like an automatic monthly debit if you'd like to just give something monthly and begin to become a committed monthly partner with us. We deeply would appreciate that. Uh, also, uh, uh, 
And thank you so much for doing that. You can give also via check by simply sending it to the address on the screen. Thank you for joining us today. God bless you. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.